Well, good morning and happy New Year's. Got a great crowd this morning. We weren't real sure what to expect being the first day of the year. But uh, wow, what a way to start the year. I'm excited about 2023, excited about what God's going to do this year. Um, I, I really felt led to start off this year with something we do um, normally once a year, sometimes twice. Um, with a testimony service, I asked six folks this morning to share their uh, testimonies with us uh, with an emphasis on why God is good. And as I thought about starting off 2023, I just thought, what better way than to start off with a focus on the goodness of God and uh, for us to be reminded of how good God is, why God is good. And um, one of the things that I think is so important is um, being able to communicate like why I know that God is good. So what has God done in my life, right? Uh, what's God done in your life? And there are a few things more powerful than, in, in the court uh, than a testimony of a witness. Someone who can say, I know God is good because. And so I contacted some folks this week. Um, I actually contacted them Friday. So I was praying and trying to figure out, God, what do you want us to do Sunday morning? I wasn't really settled on my sermon. And this, I really, as I tried to push through with my sermon, it was like this thought just kept coming to me. And so um, I quickly uh, contacted a handful of folks and I was truly blessed by the quick responses and kind of the excitement of everybody. So we've got uh, three sisters and three brothers. They're going to be sharing with us this morning. And first up, Julie McMullen, if you'll make your way up. Julie's going to share with you this morning. Well, Pastor Joplin asked me, to testify on how I know God is good. And while that, I mean, I have a million reasons to say why God is good, it was a really challenging task to come up with like a seven-minute reason. I feel like I could talk for an hour um, because he has been so good. And as I meditated on that, just that thought, um, so many words came to mind. Um, but I think what really hit me hard is every good thing I have in my life is directly because of God. Um, the people, um, just this, this church, um, and it all comes from God. So how to say this in six minutes, I had to seek the Lord in prayer. And I got this verse fairly clearly in my time in seeking him for guidance. It states in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. I love this statement. I love the whole book of James, actually. We were honored this, um, this year to actually host life groups, and we got to study the book of James. Um, and it's just so important that we understand God does not change. I find such amazing comfort in this. I lived a life with a lot of changing circumstances, seasons, and people. And I've lived that life 
where I claimed to know Jesus, but I wasn't a true surrendered person to Christ. And that life that I lived had a lot of shifting shadows in it. And when I finally was able to surrender my life, become a slave to Christ, um, I know that there is a difference. And Jesus is the rock of ages. He is who we as children of light must build our foundation on. He was and is and is to come. If you've truly submitted to Christ, you are now blessed with the Holy Spirit, guiding you day by day, correcting you, changing you, comforting you. What a good and perfect gift to know the truth of Christ that is not changing because we live in a world that is always changing. So taking a look at my life, I see God so clearly in the people he has blessed me with. Like it says in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above. It is from him. And so when I pondered over this concept, I immediately think of my parents. My parents conceived me at the age of 16 and 17, both not having real good role models of parents or what a normal family was. They were just babies raising a baby. God intervened in their lives, and when they surrendered to him, their circumstances did not become perfect. They actually had more challenges than you can imagine. My dad joined the Air Force to get his family away from the toxic environment that he grew up in. And in four years after me, they had my little sister, who was born severely sick, and the doctors had no answers to why. They were told she would only live a few short weeks, and it's crazy to think that this week she's turning 28. Her first entire year was spent in the hospital, and my parents traveled from New Jersey to Philadelphia to take care of her, and they did such an amazing job taking care of me as well. Um, with these challenges, God was steadfast, and he grew their faith and strength more and more, and I got to witness this firsthand. Um, I still remember my little sister spent the first three years eating um, out of a feeding tube. And I remember we went to McDonald's, and she, her first meal was a McDonald's hamburger. And you better believe we went every day and got her a McDonald's hamburger. I know that's not healthy, but <laughs> she was eating, and they were praising God. I, I do remember that vividly, um, just the thankfulness that they had to God for that. Um, and so the most important thing that they did for me and my sister was share Christ with us throughout our childhood. And for this, I'm forever grateful. Um, they broke out of the old family patterns of abuse, hate, jealousy, and anger, and showed my sister and I such selfless and sacrificial love. I saw the love of Christ in them. The odds were stacked against them, but with Christ, they were victorious. And so when I look at my parents, I can't help but praise God for the goodness, for, for his goodness and faithfulness. My parents have never stopped giving God the glory for why they lived a different life. And this is why my parents are such a good and perfect gift from God to me. God is good. Next, I want to take a look at my marriage, which is a good and perfect gift from God. Not only has my husband been an amazing gift, but the people that he has given me through the family that he has added into mine has been amazing. I met my husband at the age of 16. He was my first and only boyfriend and has been my best friend ever since the day I met him. <laughs> We've seen a lot of easygoing years and a lot of tough years. 
And looking back at it all, all I can see is God in every season, consistent and faithful. Through these changing circumstances, God has not changed one bit. Some of our hardest times have been the 18 months in which Victor lost his mother, age 52, and father, age 57, to cancer. These losses were huge to our family, and we will never be the same. But I watched my husband praise God through these trials of losses, and not once did he take it out on anyone else, nor play the victim. He became better, not bitter, in these trials. This was a true gift from God. My husband has poured his heart into God's kingdom by loving his family, my family, his friends, and going on mission trips around the world, and just being faithful to the house of God. While going through these losses, we've also as a couple struggled with not being able to conceive a child. We've been in the waiting room for nearly five years now, but we praise God for what he's done in our lives and all the blessings that we have. Um, we are still hopeful that God will bless us with a child of our own, but I love the hopefulness and joy that God has given us while we wait. That is a gift from God. Through the loss, the waiting, the changing world around us, we have seen God in our circumstances being the only true source of goodness, mercy, and faithfulness. The only thing that is unchanging is Christ within us. Now I want to step here for a second and recognize as I'm praising God for my parents and my husband that not everyone has the same blessings of being raised with good parents or you may not be in a marriage. But there are so many other good things to praise God for. Um, I could go on and on about all the relationships, the blessings I've seen, so many good gifts from God. In this new year, I challenge you that maybe not even looking to people, but looking to Christ and Christ alone for your goodness. I think it'd be amazing if us as a body tonight go and just sit with God and share with him how we know he is good. We should all be able to come up here and share this. Um, it's not these people, it's Jesus Christ in them, and we must know that. His love never changes. It is forever. Build your foundation upon Jesus Christ. My last verse that I wish to share is Psalm 16:2. I said to the Lord, you are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. I thank the Lord for everything I have, and I just love him, and I can't say enough on how good God is. Thank you. Did you fix it? Yeah. Raz McCarty, you're up, brother. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's really good to be here, and, and uh, what an honor. Oh, my gosh. You know, this just shows how good God truly is. You know, the couple songs that, we, that really struck a chord, you know, it was in my notes. And, and uh, uh, how God can take a mess and make a message out of it. And, you know, God's still good when times are bad. You know, it's been a long time since I spoke in front of a crowd. There was a time where that was part of my story is I really tried to give back. And uh, 
be a part of something greater than myself. <clears throat> anyway, God's good all the time. I truly believe that. My testimony is a testament to that. Uh, what I'm going to <clears throat> share with you guys is just part of my story. But to me, it is God's grace, his mercy, and his divine appointment. As a young man, or a young boy, <clears throat> a young child, I was exposed to God and religion, if you will. Uh, it's kind of kind of odd how it, it took place. It was, you know, I lived in a really broken home. And, uh, you know, for that brief hour or whatever it was, was there was a real reprieve from all the brokenness. But, <clears throat> you know, through God's mercy, I could just feel a sense of his presence. And, you know, how we got, <clears throat> got away from that little bit was uh, my mother and my grandmother, we lived in, in, in a house with them, and, and Dad, he worked all the time, so uh, on Sundays there was time to get us kids out of the house. And, you know, was, you know, you dadgum kids need to get out of here type deal. It wasn't like, oh, let's, you know, it just, it's so good. And, and that's kind of a translated version of what was, what was demanded on us. And we'd walk down the alley and <clears throat> down the street, this little church. Anyway, <clears throat> you know, it was pretty intense. It was similarly a God, and they just, they did things a little certain. They did things a little different than what we do here. And, and uh, but, you know, through it all, it was, you know, I didn't quite understand, you know, what it was all about. But again, I could, I could feel God's presence, you know, in, in those times. I, you know, that got me through uh, some real difficult times, which later on I was, I was awarded the state. sent to St. Francis Boys Home. <clears throat> and there it was, then again, it is a, 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 I, I want to say a religion, but, you know, through all this, I, I continue to feel God's presence. And regardless what hoops they jumped through and, and, and how they operated, uh, I just did, wasn't really drawn to that, but I was really drawn to the comfort that God, only God can bring. And uh, so, you know, I, I really hung on to that. And that's what I, I really w would seek in them dark times. E even in there, it was, it was you know, pretty, uh, pretty intense. To say the least, you know, I had a very difficult life growing up. But, you know, God continues to show up. And, and you know, through all that, it was riddled with drugs and alcohol and just severe brokenness. And... In, uh, you know, but I kept seeing glimmers of light. You know, uh, we, my, my, my mom and dad uh, divorced, and dad took us three kids, and, 
And uh, I was about nine years old and, and raised us the best he could. And, and uh, you know, if you, if you detect any type of mannerism or my character, I, I really got to give it to my dad because, I mean, he was just real persistent. He was my constant, even though his deal was working all the time. And if you were sad, you worked. If you're happy, you worked. If, you know, you dusted your butt off and pulled your boots on and, and drove on. And uh, we, we just can't dwell on that, son. We got to move forward. So, but even with all that, <clears throat> you know, there was, you know, through all the brokenness, you know, I, uh, I wound up in Wichita in 1987. <clears throat> and mind you, you know, God spared me through all this. I really feel that I am spared to, uh, to do whatever God wants me to do. And I find those moments where I'm kind of taking it back and doing what I want to do. But when I do that, it's like, oh, my gosh, it comes at a price. It's like, gosh, what just happened? And there's a lot of the times it was like, you know, how can a guy like me be in, uh, you know, a, a situation like this? And, and that's across the board. When things were bad, it's like, oh, how could I, you know, these things that I've been, that's been instilled in me and, and uh, the, the things that really God showed me of be, my life being spared, that, uh, that I could still take it back and, and operate off my will or operate off my agenda. Anyway, in 1987, I found myself standing in front of a gentleman, and he was swearing me in, and I was under oath. And I was standing there, and I'm kind of an eye-to-eye guy regardless of who you are. And I just was always taught that, that, you know, and it's something I've, I've taught my son is when you, you have to have that eye contact and really connect. You know, I would say, you, know, you got to really connect, son. And, and that's what I was taught. And anyway, I was being sworn in and to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. And, and I was eye-to-eye with this man. And, you know, through all that, you know, I call it, uh, you know, God got me to hold still because through all that running and stuff, I, I, you know, I was running off my own will under God's protection, though. But, you know, I've, I've learned in here that, you know, if we get too far, too far out there away from God's circle, if you will, it's just you're, you're kind of on your own, so to speak. And you have to turn, and you have to repent, you have to get back on track. Well, through all this, you know, I, I was sent away, and I was able to get back on track because I was holding still. Um, I had a lot of time to thank, pray, and work on what God wanted me to do. You know, once you know, I was like, "Oh my gosh!" You know, you're supposed to. By, I loved your story. You know, it seemed like you had it all figured out what God kind of wanted, so to speak. And for me, I, I didn't really know what I wanted, but I knew what I didn't want. So, so for quite some time, I just operated on what not to do, and uh, it was a pretty good deal because it was kind of a win-win thing. <clears throat> Anyway, you know, through that, uh, I, uh, you know, my time was about up, and through all that, you know, I, I got involved with the Bible study, and I, and while I was uh, incarcerated, and uh, I uh, got into the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, and 
And it, it's funny, I've shared uh, several times. It's, <clears throat> you know, God got me the program, but the program got me to God. To be able to, you know, be a part of you guys' lives and for you to be a part of mine. Because we're all in this together and we're not, I, none of us is going to get out of this alive. And, but there is a place prepared for us. <clears throat> what a real, real assuring thought. Anyway, I uh, managed to get through that time and read a lot. <clears throat> I didn't have an education and, uh, at the time and couldn't really read or write. But, uh, you know, just through prayer and, you know, reading and just really believing in myself and believing that God truly had a, a bigger purpose for me, you know, I was able to read and I start, you know, started taking some courses and, and really started to turn things around. And, and, you know, there's always going to be those bumps in the road. <clears throat> there's a, a tagline in my story that, that will go with that. But it's, you know, it's not always going to be easy. It's going to be a struggle, you know. Really, the enemy was really talking to me back there in the pew. It's like, you know, that I am so unworthy of this and, and you know, try to get me straight off. It's like, oh, heck no. No, not, no. Absolutely not. And we got to fight for, it's a spiritual battle. And we have to fight daily. And sometimes I fight moment to moment. And, you know, I, I get to thinking is, <clears throat> why do I have to fight so hard? Why, why do I have to? And, it, you know, it's, it's, you know, I truly believe that God has something for me. And the last thing that the enemy wants, that Satan's want, is me to, to, to be a part of that. And uh, anyway, to move along, I, I was getting at the end of my, my, my time and, and my attorney, <clears throat> it's crazy, his name is Craig Stantliff, and really one of the first time that, you know, like a professional within this, this uh, the court system said, you know, Mr. McCarty, I see a lot of myself in you because I'd, he had picked up on my story. He's really I, the only person I had a visit with in a couple years. It's just, that's just the way it was. And uh, so, you know, that I really trusted this guy. And, and anyway, uh, he said, you know, hey, I got some bad news and I got some good news, which you want first. And the bad news was when... It, you know, they don't have a place for you in Topeka. They're trying to get me into a reintegration program, and you know, or God was. I mean, he did, too. And I said, oh, my gosh, what's, okay, what's the, what's the good news? And he says, well, there's a place in Wichita. So I was sent back to Wichita, and uh, only God can do these things. You know, it's like, oh, I wound up in Wichita. I didn't do nothing other than thank you. You know, I, it didn't matter where I was going, but I was really had my heart set on Topeka. I'd done read up on it, done studied it. Going, I've got, I'm gonna participate. And uh, so, you know, I, I wound up in Wichita, and 
you know, and participated on what God wanted me to do, you know, and I, I still had my hiccups, and I was young and thought I could do all this and that, but I met my wife, and, and uh, you know, we were married, and, and uh, gosh, what a blessing, you know, what an unlikely source. Uh, she was probably the most likely to succeed in school when they got their little picture in the yearbook, and, you know, heaven forbid, mine was a mugshot. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and of course her parents was, oh my gosh, who you get? Oh my gosh. But, you know, and, and, you, and, and I understand that because I have a daughter. And anyway, you know, in, in, in 2013, you know, my, I could go on and on, but in 2013, my father-in-law passed away. I was asked to speak at a service, you know, I was that guy, where, can, how do we get rid of this guy, to we want him to speak on my father-in-law's behalf, and, and only God can do that. Uh, anyway, I was asked to speak, and he, he was uh, federal, he worked for the federal court system. And they had his body in state. They contacted the president, da-da-da, and had him in lay, lay in state at the federal courthouse. It had to go through a bunch of hoops. He'd been, his whole career was the federal court system. And so that was kind of, okay, God, okay, here we go. This is, you know, and I'm supposed to speak? And anyway, <clears throat> they seated me. And they seated me in the same seat that I was or God seated me in the same seat that I was in 26 years prior to that. And instead of U.S. Marshals on one side and my attorney, Charlie Anderson, that had given me his son's clothes to wear to court, I want you to at least look presentable, right? Because, by the way, I'd, I'd put on a bunch of weight and I'd, you know, got, it turned things around. But anyway... As I was sharing about my father-in-law and God's divine appointment, I spoke of meeting him the first time 26 years prior. Little did I know at the time, I was looking into the eyes of my future father-in-law and my grandkids' father grandfather God is so good when times are bad only God can take a mess like me and make a message out of it you know my dad passed in 1983 September 18th and it was the worst day of my life you know he brought a lot of comfort We lived in a small house, just back up a little bit, so we bunked together, right? I mean, just what you did is, and the girls had their room, and Dad and I had ours. So, you know, to say we was close would be the understatement. He was, you know, pretty much everything. But it was really one of the worst days of my life. It's like, now what? I was 23 years old, and I'd really kind of started to get it together, but it just really fell apart after that. But it's one of my worst days. And, and anyway, my daughter... 
uh, called me. Oh, I was down running around, and she says, oh, Dad, I'm pregnant. And it's like, oh, I, I didn't know what to say. Other than, gosh, you're going to be a great mother, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm so blessed to have you as my angel. And, and anyway, she, uh, Aspen was born on the same day my dad passed. So God is truly good all the time. You know, and I <clears throat> apologize. It's uh, just the spirit, just, I just get overwhelmed with it. How a guy like me can be in a place like this. And it's only through God's goodness and his protection. And he spares us each day. And I just want to thank you guys for being a part of my life. And I know I've run over a couple of minutes, but I just... I just wanted to share what I was laying on my heart. Anyway, I love you guys. Thank you. Stephanie Rainey, where are you at? There she is. Make welcome Stephanie Rainey. Hello, everybody. All right, so when Joplin asked me if I would share my testimony on why I thought God was good, I was absolutely terrified because I'm not a great public speaker. But God has done so much in my life, and there are so many reasons why I think God is good. And that, for the most part, trumps my fear of public speaking. So when I started thinking of all, thinking of all the things God has done in my life and put me through, it was hard to minimize just a five to ten minutes but for time's sake, I'll just share a little bit of my story over the last several years. And I'll start with how I met my husband. So I had just gotten out of a 10-year relationship. I was with the same guy all four years of high school, all four years of college, and a couple years after that. A couple years after we had, or a couple weeks after we had broken up, I ran into an old friend, and we started catching up, and um, her and her friend you know, found out about me and my ex-boyfriend and wanted to set me up with someone. And I, again, had just gotten out of a 10-year relationship and was like, sure, I'm not really, you know, ready for anything because I haven't dated in so long. And I was like, sure, whatever. And um, kind of forgot about it. Woke up the next day and he messaged me on Facebook. <laughs> so uh, we had talked for a week and then we went on our blind date and um, I almost didn't go on the date, but my brother talked me into it. So ever since I met him, it was a whirlwind. Four months later, after we met, we got engaged. And then a year of our engagement, we got, we got married. And a lot of you know who my husband is. He's Joshua Rainey. He's the drummer every other weekend here. So this alone was a God thing because I wanted to move to Dallas after school. I even got accepted for an internship in Dallas and I turned it down because of my boyfriend at the time. And I had regretted that for years. And now I look back, I know that God had better plans for me because I probably wouldn't have met my husband if I had moved to Dallas. So fast forward, Josh and I get married. And within our first year of marriage, we found out we're pregnant for the first time. And I was pretty excited, um, surprised, but excited. 
And I walk into the room Josh is in, and he's playing his video games. And I'm like, hey, babe, we're pregnant. I show him the stick, and needless to say, his uh, reaction wasn't very good. So <laughs> he was a little surprised. <laughs> but before we could even wrap our heads around it, a couple weeks go by, and we experience a miscarriage. And at that time, I had no idea how common miscarriages were. But my doctor said, you know, just keep trying, and we'll, we'll just see what happens. So a couple months go by, and we get pregnant again. And again, a couple weeks go by, and we experience another miscarriage. And it happened again, and so three miscarriages later, we decided we were going to, you know, hold out. We didn't want to experience a fourth miscarriage, so we um, tried to stop that from happening. And I, uh, during that time, I was in a pretty dark state. I had turned to drinking instead of God, and I just felt abandoned by God. And it was just a really hard time in my personal life and within my marriage. And so, like I said, we had three miscarriages, so we, we wanted to kind of figure out what was happening before we experienced another one. So I sought to see a specialist with, um, here in Wichita. And um, I was venting to an employee about how long the wait list was to see this specialist. And another employee overheard and said, hey, my dad actually works there. I can see you know, what he can do to bump you up. And it worked, we got in pretty quickly and um, we got to see them before my husband got deployed for six months. And you know, we did a lot of tests and they thought they figured it out. And so while Josh was deployed, I had a surgery done. And when he came back, we were hopeful that it worked and we started trying again. And during that time, I started turning to God instead of drinking. We started doing Bible studies, getting into the Word, and that's actually when we started coming to the well, which was at the end of 2017. Shortly after that, we got pregnant again, and nine months later, had our first daughter, Evelyn. And uh, when Evelyn was just six months old, we found out we were pregnant again. And so by that time, I had gotten promoted to area manager at my job, and that was a very high-stress job. I worked a lot of hours. I was coming home late. My daughter was either in bed or going to bed 30 minutes after I got home. I knew that I couldn't sustain the job that I had, that it, it didn't allow me to be the mom that I wanted to be. So I was constantly praying for something different, but I because I knew that I wasn't going to leave on my own because I'd worked there for so long and I got to the spot that I wanted to get at, but I just, as a new mom, I just knew that this isn't something that I could do forever. So I just continued to pray, pray on it and I gave birth to my second daughter, Olivia, January 2020. <laughs> and here comes the pandemic. COVID-19 happened and um, I was on maternity leave on phone calls at the end of my maternity leave um, about you know COVID-19, what was happening. Um, it was a pretty scary time, especially having an infant. And um, I came back to work from maternity leave on March 16th and immediately had to start furloughing half my staff. I spent days either letting people go or furloughing them. And then less than two weeks later, it happened to me. My boss called me in 
and told me that they were consolidating my area and that I could either step down or take a severance package. So I prayed about what to do and finally felt at peace with my decision and I decided to take the severance package so I was able to be a stay-at-home mom with my two kids in the midst of a pandemic while still getting income for three months. So during those three months, I interviewed with one company and I got the job. I actually started a week after my last severance paycheck. God's timing was perfect. I couldn't have planned it any better. We never went without. And then a month starting, a month after starting my new job, I found out I was pregnant <laughs> again. And <laughs> thankfully, um, this job, I was able to stay at home my entire pregnancy and even months after I got back from maternity leave, which gave me the flexibility to be home for my kids when daycare shut down because of COVID and sickness and all the other things that come with three babies. So my conclusion is that God always provides. God's plans are perfect and a million times better than we could have ever done on our own. When I look back at all my ups and downs, I know that God was in control and had a plan and purpose for me to go through all of those things. And he is still in control now and has a purpose for the trials that I face today. But I know that these are his plans and that gives me peace and comfort to get through them. Thank you. This next young man I was especially excited about um, just because I really like this guy, but he's quiet as a field mouse. And I thought that he would tell me no, but uh, he did not. He said he's excited. Uh, he, Trayton comes just about every Sunday morning, but many of you are going to be like, I don't know this guy. It's because he sits in the same spot, and he's nice and quiet and one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. But make welcome Trayton Rusher. Good morning. This is a lot of people than I'm used to seeing. <laughs> um, so my name is Trayden. Um, I graduated Derby a couple years ago, um, and I'm currently wrestling at Friends. Um, and when Joplin asked me to come speak, he, he's not wrong. I was really nervous to come up and speak. Like, I, I really, my first inclination was, no, I'm good. Like, I'm not really the speaking type. Um, but when he told me that I was up here to talk about how good God is, it, it's really an opportunity that I can't miss. Um, because God has been so evident in my life that it's to a point where it's undeniable. Um, when I was a little kid, uh, my family kind of raised me um, in the church, um, but a little bit not as frequent. We didn't go to church every single weekend. Um, and so... That kind of led to me like in and out of Sunday school. Um, so I didn't really get like a full childhood experience of Sunday school, um, but enough to know who God was. Um, so that when I got in middle school, what really saved me was um, our youth group. Um, I started going to um, youth group on Wednesday nights, and then they had a thing on Sunday mornings that I would go to. Um, and then that kind of introduced me into church camp. Uh, in church camp, 
uh, is really funny because you get to go and experience only God for a week. And so I'd go and I'd experience only God for a week and I'd come back and I'd be like, yeah, God, whoa. And um, it'd be really cool. And so when I was at church camp one year, um, I really, I dedicated my life to God. Um, but coming back and realizing that I dedicated my life to God when I was there, um, just to go ring a bell and say that I belong to God. Um, and I didn't really live out my life as a Christian, and I could see that going into like middle school and even into high school, um, because when it really came down to it in high school, sports put, took precedence over everything that I did. Um, I didn't come to church very much in high school because I was at a sports practice or I had a sports event on a Sunday. Um, and so that took a lot of precedence over my life. Um, and then coming in on January 12th, 2019, um, my best friend, my grandpa, passed away. Um, and that really hurt me. Um, I took a real big step away. Um, at that point, I was going to church a couple times a month, but not every single weekend. And when he passed away, I stopped going to church at all. Um, I took a lot of anger towards God in that time. Um, I blamed him for a lot of things. And I really started going down a path that, um, looking back now, I'm not very proud of. Um, started hanging out with the wrong people, doing the wrong things. Um, and after a while, I kind of got tired of that. And I started living um, a life that I felt to be more respectable. Um, one that I lived a morally good life, um, but I didn't necessarily live my life for God. I didn't live morally for God. I lived morally for myself and for my conscience. Um, and that's kind of where I went up until the point when I met a girl. Um, and this girl really has changed my life. Um, when I met her, I was really avid about not going to church, about not going to small group. Um, and she invited me to go to her small group. And so I started thinking, I was like, you know, I really like this girl. And maybe if I go to her small group, she'll like me more. And so, and so I went to small group. And what's funny about that, she invites me to go to small group, and it's on Thanksgiving. And so she goes, you should come. There will be food. And I'm like, okay, I'm in. There's food. And as a wrestler, you're like, okay, this is the one time of the year where I can go and just gorge myself. <laughs> so I went, and I had a ton of food. And she's like, how'd you like it? I was like, it was awesome. And then she's like, great, we'll come back next week. So I was like, okay. And I came back next week, and it was Christmas. And I was like, awesome. She goes, there's food and a white elephant. And I was like, sweet, so this is church now? Like, <laughs> this is what we do? And so then I went back that next week, and I started talking to the leaders at that small group. Um, and... When I went to the small group and I started talking to them, they really um, were able to teach me who God was through that. They took a moment where I was really only there for food, um, and they were able to teach God through that. Um, and so when I continued this relationship with this girl, she told me, she said that she wanted God to be the center of our relationship, and she wanted God to be in the middle of our relationship. And I knew how important God was to her. And so I started building my own relationship with God. Um, and I started um, attending church on a regular basis and attending small group on a regular basis. Um, 
And I was really able to fall in love with God. And through that, I was able to find healing um, with my grandpa, um, healing in the fact that it was all a part of God's plan to get me to him. Um, and so through that, I've gone, I'm now in my second year at college. Um, I'm a pretty active member, um, and we have a group that we go to on Thursdays um, at WSU that I've been going to. Uh, I go on Wednesdays to our small group, and this last semester I was truly blessed by God to um, be able to start a small group through the wrestling team um, and be able to minister to people on the wrestling team. Um, and so I've been really blessed throughout my life to be able to show people who God is and to have God show himself to me. Um, so if there's really one thing that I want people to know from like my testimony, it's that um, God says in Romans 8.28 that all things work together for those who love him and for those who, according to his purpose. And that truly has played a testament on my life. God's goodness has worked in my life in a way that has changed me for forever. Thank you. You're a pretty good speaker, man. <laughs> All right. Uh, Shar Titus. He's right. There is a lot of people out there. <laughs> I don't know how I can follow up these fantastic testimonies. And I told the pastor this morning he needs to pick younger people. <laughs> because <laughs> I have so many experiences with God, it was hard to nail it down. In fact, I could have written a book. But I'm going to start with three scriptures here. John 15, 16, you did not choose me. Jesus is speaking here. He says, you did not choose me. I chose you. Psalms 103, know the Lord is good. No, wait, let me reread that. Know that the Lord is God, and it is he who made us, and we are his. And then one scripture I come to know really well, and that's John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what happened to my childhood. It was stolen by the enemy. I had two parents. They were cool people. They were loving, kind, sweet. They had four children and then 10 years of marriage, four daughters. My father's dream was to have five boys play football for the University of Nebraska. They were the number one team back then. And he had four daughters. So he went out and bought a male dog. <laughs> My parents were not Christians. In 10 years, they got divorced. And through dirty politics, I'm told, my father got custody of us, and I have been told that he was the first man to get custody minor children in the state of Kansas. And that was a whole new program, a man raising four daughters. I was eight years old. In no time, I learned to clean house, cook, and take care of my children. 
my sisters, they were like my children. Um, I said goodbye to my childhood, and I acted like an adult. And um, in short time, my father remarried, and he married a woman that had a Jezebel spirit and was demonic. And the very first thing she did after three weeks of marriage, she thought my sisters and I, I'm being eight, sisters six, one five, and one barely three, uh, was wanting to have relations with my father. And so she changed our names. Our names were names I cannot tell you from the pulpit. They're names from the pit of hell. They bring shame to you. They bring shame to a woman, to a young girl. They break you down. Then she locked us in our bedrooms and we weren't allowed out. And uh, we were only allowed out to do housework. And then the beatings came that same time. And her rules were totally different than the world's rules. And everything had a penalty of 100 lashes. And if you were getting whipped and you screamed out or you flinched or you danced about, you would get another 100 lashes. And this happened day in and day out. I was beat 100, 200, 300 lashes a day, my sisters and I. You had to be demon-possessed to do that to four little girls. And some of the fractions were really crazy. Like if I was peeling potatoes at eight years old, and a potato peeling landed in the sink instead of the colander. That was a hundred lashes. So guess what? I did not smoke. I did not skip school. I learned to be obedient. And um, we were punished day in and day out. And by age nine, I wanted to commit suicide. And I had made up my mind. There was no gun in the house. And... I didn't know what chemicals mixed together for poison. There was no pills in the house. But I lived three blocks away from Highway 54. And I knew if I stepped out in front of a semi, that would take care of it. And so I had made up my mind that that's what I was going to do. But God had different plans. Early that morning, even before the birds were awake, I was awake because I had had my day planned out. And something, God sent me a message. And he sent me a message through a special messenger. An angel appeared in my room. And people think I'm crazy, that's okay. I'll be crazy for God any day. But this angel was a man, and he was radiant, and he was big. And I can remember being nine years old thinking, how did he get in my house? He's too big to go through the door. How's he fitting in my bedroom? But this angel told me, Char, do not be afraid. It's going to be okay. Everything's going to work out. Well, the angel left. Thoughts of suicide left. But the demonic stepmother still stayed on. And things got worse. 
We went from beatings to trying to kill me now. And she did with my sisters. And I'm going to tell you two experiences. Uh, We weren't allowed to brush our teeth. So my sisters and I were able to grab one toothbrush. And we brushed our teeth with salt. And I I had a cavity at age 17. And it was a pretty big cavity. And so I had to go to the dentist, and he filled it, and it cost $17. I remember that. I was 17 and $17. And she was so outraged, she wanted to kill me, so she drove into the other lane of traffic with oncoming car, thinking that would kill me. I don't know why she didn't think it wouldn't kill her. I guess, you know, evil doesn't die. I don't know. But the other car went into the ditch. And once again, here I am. Another time, my father, we weren't allowed to have any, when it was our, when it was, before she came into our lives, my father was a fun man. He danced with us every night when he got home from work. His rules were different. He um, didn't believe in sorting socks. You put them all in the sock drawer and you pulled out the next morning. If you had an anklet and a knee sock, so be it. You just hit the road. And, uh, but my father wasn't allowed to talk to us. We weren't allowed to talk to him. We weren't even allowed to see my father, except in the morning when I fixed him breakfast. I would call him and he would come in, sit down to eat, and then I would dismiss myself and go get ready for school. And this time, um, he winked at me and my stepmother saw it. And when he left... She decided she was going to try to kill me. And she told me she was going to break my neck. And she lunges at me, pulls me over the island that was in the kitchen. I landed on top of my head. And the next thing I know, she was on top of me trying to break my neck. But that day, I had a rubber neck. (laughs) Nothing she was going to do to me was going to break my neck. And so that's my life. I was raised a heathen. I really didn't know God. Um, her brother was Assembly of God missionary to the Hopi Navajo Indians. The only time I went to church was every four years when he was in town to speak. And I learned a lot about Navajo and Hopi Indians. But he didn't talk about God because his job there was to talk about the Indians. And uh, so I really didn't know much about God. So three weeks before graduation, all my friends are running to the bars. And uh, I'm 19, and I asked if I could go to church. I had taken a test for the Air Force, had passed it. I had scored the highest score in electronics in the state of Kansas and was told by my recruiting officer I was headed toward the control tower. After basic training, I began training in that. So they decided, oh, she's going in the Air Force. We better get her saved. So we go to church, and I was told I could not go forward. I could not go to the altar. First Sunday, second Sunday. Third Sunday, I didn't care. I looked at my sisters, and we all four, all three of us, all four of us, ran to the altar. Got Gloria saved. My uh, pastor there, two or three weeks later, told me I was sent by God to marry Jim. Oh, wow, I'm a brand new Christian. I'll do whatever God says. You know, okay. 
That means somebody's going to love me. Something I had never known. And so a year later, I ended up marrying that man. We had two children, a boy and a girl. Life seemed pretty good. We had a dog and everything was okay. And then I become sick and uh, real sick. And I was diagnosed with leukemia the week before Christmas. And I was supposed to go in the hospital for chemo. And chemo was a lot different 50 years ago than it is today. And, uh, but I didn't show up. How do you check yourself in for leukemia when you haven't had the nerve to tell your family? Where's the words? So it took me about six weeks. And uh, during that time, my doctor kept calling me. And so one time he called and I said, I can't go in, I'm pregnant. And uh, he says, you can't be pregnant, you're too ill. And I said, well, I am. So he called me in the office, and sure enough, I was. My doctor was a Catholic man. He was a good man. And with tears in his eyes, he came to me, and he said, I cannot save you both. But if you will abort that baby, there's a good chance I could save you. And he says, I can't do it. My faith won't allow me to do it. Well, I went to church. I had faith. My faith isn't going to allow me to do it either. And so I carried that baby until about six months. And on Memorial Day weekend, I lost that baby. And uh, I was sick as if I had leukemia. And they put me in a room with a woman that had a baby the day before, and her friends and family decided to give her a baby shower. And I had just lost my baby four hours earlier. Saint knows how to take a knife and just twist it, doesn't he? But that's okay. I was fighting for my life. And they had three bags of blood on me, and it, it ran out faster than they could put it in me. They were changing my sheets every 10 minutes. They didn't think I was going to make it through the night. My blood pressure dropped down to in the 20s. The nurse was getting pronounced me dead, and I asked her, I said, what are you doing? Scared her to death. She goes, I thought you were dead. I said, not yet. But something strange happened that night. It was at Wesley Hospital, and they're not known for crosses, I don't think. But in my room was a great big cross. And a nightlight shined on me all night long. And it upset my roommate. She didn't want the light on at night. I was too weak to get out of bed. And she uh, looked at it, tried to figure out how to call, shut it off. She couldn't. And I just didn't really bother about it. I'm just trying to live here for a few more minutes. But morning came. I had a little bit of strength. And so I asked the nurse, I said, how do you shut that nightlight off? She goes, what are you talking about? I said, that cross. That cross had a light that beamed just on me all night. She goes, that's not night night. I said, yeah, it is. She goes, no, it's not. She went over and checked. No, it was not a night light. Then it dawned on me. That cross represented the cross at Calvary, where Jesus' blood spilt for me. 
Satan had stolen my childhood. He had stolen my baby. He was out to steal me. And God said, no. Well, it is a known fact, if you lose a child, you might lose a marriage. And that's exactly what happened. My husband, at five years old, his grandfather came to live with him. He had leukemia. He slept in Jim's bed with Jim, and he died in Jim's bed. And Jim had a phobia about cancer and especially leukemia. And he got, for the next five years, he worked second shift, and he would sit in his truck when he got off work, and he wouldn't come into the house until after I got up. And he would go take a shower and go to bed. And for five years, we were never in, really in the same room. And so I filed for divorce. I thought he needed to be free. I needed to be free because that was not a marriage. And so Satan stole my marriage. After my divorce, someone in my church told me I was going to hell. I lost friends, Christian friends, stopped reaching out, wouldn't re return my phone calls because <laughs> I was headed to hell. Had I changed? No, but I did change. I thought, if I'm going to hell, I might as well go join the other friends. So I went out with them for a couple years. I didn't drink. My mother was an alcoholic. I was, it ran in the family. I didn't want to drink. I didn't want to do that to my children. So I'd walk around. <laughs> I'd walk around with water and a lime, look like I was somebody that I was not, Tried in, trying to fit in a place I didn't want to be. I had, my, I had a... My friends, oh, you need to meet somebody so you can get married and have a life. But I had a motto, if you don't bring home trash, you don't have to hire a garbage collector. <laughs> I never met anybody worth bringing home. And um, so I started a business called Romantic Rose, a flower shop. I've been a florist for 50 years. And uh, I made a mistake of going in business with somebody I met an entrepreneurial class. And little did I know, because I didn't know anything about drugs, he was pushing drugs. And we lost the business. And I lost everything I owned, because I put everything on it. He didn't. And uh, by now, I'm starting to get a little bitter toward God. Before, I would drop into church, even though I was told I was going to hell. I didn't go every Sunday, but... I love the sanctuary. There's something about the sanctuary. And I would go in and I would be the very last person to leave. In fact, sometimes they'd shut the lights off on me. And it had no windows, and so you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. And I would stumble out of there, wishing I could just stay there. And uh, after a couple years, on my way home from work, I heard a news flash that two women had been murdered where I stood every day and cut flowers. That hit me like a ton of bricks. I went home and got on my knees and at my couch and I asked God for his forgiveness because 
God was looking after me. Maybe those women were, that were murdered were right with God and ready to go home. But this girl wasn't right. There was a lot of anger and pain, mostly pain, because I'm a pretty forgiving person. But I had a lot of pain in my life. And so I needed to get rid of that before I could go home. Go home. Truly, after that childhood, God had his hand on it. And I feel like my, my life has been like the Old Testament in many ways. In this story, God raised up the best CEO for the Wichita Children's Home. And that's my sister, Deborah. She knows those kids' story. She's walked, their, she's walked their walk. She's felt the beatings on her back as I have. She had a, a horrible name, too. She knows what it's like, and so she fights for those kids with everything she has. And so it was worth it. I tell her, I said, we all suffered so you could be the CEO. But it's worth it to know that they have somebody there that loves them and cares for them. I want to tell you one more story before I close. Uh, God, I did get back in church. I sold out to God. I didn't think I'd ever get married again. I drove around like Jesus was sitting next to me. You know, here, I'm engaged to Jesus. I'm the bride. And so I took Jesus everywhere I went. And I grew in the Lord. I started reading my word, started reading the Bible. Started getting free of the evil one. And, uh, but my father always felt he was cursed because he had daughters. My father goes in for a triple bypass, and my father requested to see us girls. And I was really surprised my stepmom let us in because she continued to abuse us until the day she died. She ended our home with a lie on her lips, and she left this life with a lie on her lips. And, uh, so we were in the room. I couldn't wait to hear what my father had to say to his girls. I'm sure it was going to be an apology. He had seen the light. This was going to be oh so good. And then my father spoke to the nurse. Do you have any sons? She goes, yes, I have a son. He goes, oh, all I got is girls. And with that, I was leaning on. I was kind of standing up against the wall. My head dropped down, and I kind of slid down the wall a bit. And I felt so deflated. Then the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and God said to me, Lift up your head. You are exactly what I made you to be. You are my daughter. If I wanted you to be a male, a son, I would have made you a son. Now you lift up those shoulders. And know that I love you. Jesus chose me. Me, the girl who nobody wanted. Me, the girl that nobody loved. But Jesus chose me. This is just a little bit of my story. 
There's so much more, and Satan steals and kills and destroys, but I'm chosen by Jesus. So when I come into the sanctuary, it's my comfort zone. I praise God. I feel his glory. I inhale his presence to exhale him before the world. I raise my hands in honor of him, and I dance for joy. Because I did not choose him. He chose me. God bless you. We're going to close with one final testimony today of Brother Kirk Brown. I don't see how people stand right there. I move too much, I guess, right? Well, I am Kirk Brown. Uh, a little bit about me. Um, I grew up in a church home. My dad was a preacher. Uh, I knew God. You know, I was baptized in sixth grade. That is a lot of people. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> um, I uh, you know, grew up in a great home, fantastic home. Um, 20 years ago, I met the most amazing woman. I knew by day three, I was like, I'm marrying this girl. I knew it. I knew it. Lachelle, you all know her. And that poor girl. Anyway, um, went, you know, four years after we got married, five years after we got married, got, or after we, uh, been together, we got married. I was working in aircraft, and I was smart enough to how God wanted me to live, but I was stupid enough to not realize Satan had me right where he wanted me. I was working in aircraft. I got laid off. At the time I got laid off, I had my, my tank, my boy, and my sweet sugar bear, and my beautiful wife, and a mortgage, and two car payments, and I'm like... Yeah, God loves me. <laughs> yeah, way to bless me, fella, you know. So I was like, I was beginning to get jaded and get mad. And uh, I went to Spirit. Whew. For those of you that work at Spirit, God loves you. <laughs> Place is cutthroat now. So I was there, and they were talking about layoffs again. And I was like, thanks, God, let's do it again. But then I was like, you know what, I'm going to be a cop. I, you know, I was like, I've always wanted to be a cop. If we're laying off cops, we got a problem. You know, so I was like, I'll, I'll be a cop. Well, tried to become a cop at Wichita. Didn't work. And Lashaw goes, don't be mad. Glad you didn't get a, to be a police officer in Wichita. And I was like, why? She goes, that scares me. She goes, I get it. You want to be a cop? I feel like you're going to be a great cop. Can you just focus on Derby? I was like, yeah, sure. None of this time I'm praying. I, don't, I only prayed when I... I was like, hey, God, help me out here, fella. You know, that's the only time I would pray. Because again, I didn't care. Didn't care. I was mad at him because he was punishing me because I, I don't know. I knew better than he did, right? So we uh, become, you know, I become a police officer in Derby five years ago, roughly five years ago this March. A um, friend, friend of mine uh, says, hey, get your four-wheeler and your son. Let's go shed hunting on my wife's land. I was like, sure, yeah. 
I'm pretty sure my son still remembers the day because we were loading the four-wheeler into the avalanche and the back tires kicked the ramp out, landed right there. How it did not break my leg, I don't know. But it hurt. Holy cow, did it hurt. I was like, well, I'm still taking my boy shed hunting. So I get the truck, I get the four-wheeler in the truck. And by the end of the day, I'm, I'm barely walking. And a little bit of health about me is I have type 2 diabetes, so I go every year to get checked out. Well, the time I went to get checked out, I had a bruise from mid-thigh literally down to the tip of my toes. Like, it was just bruised. It was crazy, and I was barely walking. But I was getting checked for my type 2 diabetes. And so my doctor, she was an angel. Her and her nurse, I love them to this day. They were angels. She says, for some reason, I wanted to check something on you that I never checked before. She called me up that night. She goes, you need to get to a specialist tomorrow. I think you got cancer. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, Yahtzee, thanks, God. At this point, I hated God. I was done with him. I was like, that's what you're going to do? I don't need you, you know? You guys remember Big John, right? The majority of you do. Big John, I was lifting weights with him and Dewey. Can't tell, but yeah. I'd lift weights with him and Dewey. Dewey was my best friend from high school. And Big John's like, I want to bring you to my church. I want to pray over you. And I'm like, yeah, if I have time, you know. And uh, Big John, you know, every night, I really want to, you know, this Wednesday, I want to pray over you. I want to I anoint you. I'm like, these people do not care about me. I don't want to go to this church. <laughs> but whatever, I'll appease Big John, you know. So I go, and, and Joplin, you know, I meet Joplin and everybody. And I, you know, they call me up here, and they anoint me in the shell. I don't remember how many people I had praying over me, but I was just like, what is going on? These people do not know me. Why do they care if I have cancer? Right? So my cancer is chronic myeloid leukemia. My 9 and 22 chromosome decided to mutate. When that happens, your white blood cells shoot through the roof. Um, I had over 250,000 white blood cells. Okay? I come here. I get anointed. They pray over me. Within three weeks of taking my pill... I was down to where I needed to be. And I was like, all right, cool. You know, never, still not giving glory to God. Still, you know. And then about a month goes by, and there's three things that mutate when you have my type of cancer. Two of them stopped. Stopped completely. And uh, I was like, what's going on? I was like, right on, cool. <laughs> You know, because me and Lachelle, we talked to my oncologist. We had to ask him, you know, am I going to die? And he goes, oh, you'll die with it, but not from it. You know, again, I didn't give glory to God. I was like, you know, I was like, cool, right on. I'm not going to die, right? Well, little did I know, like, this, this was God working the whole time. I go, to men's, I go to men's encounter, and we do something there at men's encounter, and it broke me. Anybody that was with me, I try and have, I mean, I'm a softie, don't get me wrong. Like, trust me, I, <laughs> I cry. I'm about to cry now. But anyway, I'm a softie. I break down. I'm talking, I was on my face bawling because I realized what God was doing. I realized God did love me. I realized I didn't need to hate God. 
I realized that God was going to be very much a part of my life. And I was failing miserably as the spiritual leader of my uh, family. And I knew I needed to make a change. And so, how do I know that God is good is Lachelle, Cooper, Bethany, my family, Lachelle's family, all of you. That's how I know God is good. And I especially know that God is good because of the phone call I received before Christmas break. All three things for my cancer have stopped mutating. So it's basically dormant. It's basically I'm in remission. And Lord willing, in March, I'll be off chemo. And you know what? If, whenever they check me in March, it's not where my oncologist wants it to be, I'll take a pill the rest of my life, but I won't die. I'll be here for my sweet family and all of you. It's, it's, that's how I know God is good. Because of this massive crowd that I'm jokingly saying is a lot of people know. This is my brothers and sisters and I love you all. And that's how I know God is good. Love you, man. I'm going to close with just a real simple statement that um, God is good through the hard times. And that's one of the things we learn uh, through one another's stories. It's one of the things we learn through studying the Word of God. That the fact that God is good does not mean that we don't go through struggles. It does not mean that we do not endure hardship. It doesn't mean that we never get sick. It doesn't mean that we never get hurt. But it means that God is with us through it all. And I pray this morning that somebody's encouraged Maybe you've been questioning God's goodness in your life. You've been looking at the battles. And I just want to encourage you to get your eyes off of the battle and get your eyes onto the God who is with you through it all.